Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, very interesting conversation with a very engaging president and vice chancellor of St. Mary's University, Rob Summerby uh, Murray. Um, you know, uh, I, I learned a lot from this conversation. You know, a lot of people have a, a, some, a, a perception of St. Mary's from the past, I think. And, uh, you know, it's a very serious university now. Uh, you know, I, did, I never, I, I didn't consider it as serious when I first came to Nova Scotia. <laughs> uh, you know, it had a bit of an image as a jock university, but, you know, they're doing some very serious academic work. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, they've had good leadership over the last couple of, uh, uh, presidents and, you know, it shows in the conversation, don't you think? Absolutely. They're the second largest university in Nova Scotia by, by budget and by students over a thousand staff. So they're, they're certainly a, a large and influential university at Dalhousie sort of overwhelms the university sector in Nova Scotia, but, uh, but St. Mary's is certainly, impressive and i think the listeners will get a sense of how impressive that university is in the conversation uh today yeah just one small example of of, of what i would call progress at the university you know they're now ranked third in canada uh, for primarily undergraduate universities uh and as uh, as we talk about in in the podcast there are now four of the top 10 undergraduate universities uh in the maritimes uh that's quite a number that's quite a Quite a good number, obviously, and uh, and you know they've worked hard to uh, to help uh, and build their reputation. And one of the ways they've done that is really focused on on a strategy that uh, Rob talked to us about, which I I really I quite like. And now it's the end of that cycle for that current strategy, and they're working on a new one. But you know the the the, the, the focus on discovery and innovation intercultural learning and institutional sustainability in its broadest terms you know it you know it shows the focus of the university don't you think and the other thing that i like a lot about the saint mary's they're not trying to be everything for everybody they've they've sort of concentrated their f- academic focus on a few areas that really very you know not not everybody's doing like uh astronomy and and physics, uh, which they're starting to have a a national reputation in. Yeah, I mean, Nova Scotia is is overrepresented in the university sector with Acadia and Dalhousie and uh, NESCAD and St. Francis Xavier and Cape Breton University, just tons of universities. So St. Mary's, it seems, has done a good job of, of, of finding a niche. I, I love the discussion we had around the Sobe School of Business and the interesting things they're doing there. Uh, so they certainly have uh, uh, positioned themselves well. They're attracting 34% international students, uh, attracting students from across the country, and interestingly enough, getting big grants from groups like the Sobies and Irving Oil. So they're obviously attracting private sector investment as well, along with, uh, well, along with public sector investment. I think they've done a really good job on the business education side. Per- personally, uh, you know, they're they're a strong competitor to the bigger uh, university uh, like Dalhousie. Uh, their uh, their uh, Sobe School of Business is really doing some innovative work on the entrepreneurial side. Obviously, uh, they're connecting with the startup community, which is really important. And I think most universities are, are going down that road, which uh, is important. Uh, they're just doing a lot of uh, what I would call innovative work for a mid-sized university in the Canadian context, for sure. But uh, certainly, they seem to be, in my in my view, uh, punching above their uh, their weight uh, in a lot of the work that they're doing. And it gets back a little bit to leadership again. I just want to emphasize that one of the things I always liked about St. Mary's universities, among the universities in uh, Nova Scotia, is that they always had a strong presence in the community. Uh, you know, the presidents and Rob is certainly in, in that same vein were everywhere. They were in the community working on, um, you know, different boards and, and, and making a contribution to the community. Uh, you know, this is a lesson for all universities. They Very few of them do this part well. Uh, St. Mary's is in my for years, for decades, has done this part extremely well. Everybody knows who the president of St. Mary's University is. And that's not the case for the other universities uh, in in Nova Scotia. And I would dare to say 
across the region. Yeah, well, universities don't exist in a vacuum. They are in the community. So it's great to see a president rolling up his sleeves and getting out there and his team uh, engaging in the local community and making it clear that, uh, you know, the role they play and, and how they can support the local community that, you know, I understand the university sector, you know, the higher education sector is sort of stands alone, but they're not. They're part of the community. They're part of the solution and they're funded with significant public dollars. So it's great to see, you know, them engaging, uh, you know, in the community like that. We also had a pretty uh, a good part of the conversation was devoted to the importance of universities as people uh, attractors. And, and certainly uh, over the last decade or so, the number of international students coming to our region has steadily increased. It's become a really important economic driver for uh, the region, brings in a lot of revenue uh, and contributes a lot to the, the communities in which the, the students are living. But not only that, you know, it's, it, it's leading to more people deciding that they want to stay uh, in the region after graduating. And I think that that's a, that role is very important and is un, not as well understood among the general population as it needs to. And, and by the way, you know, uh, these international students are not costing taxpayers a penny. They are paying the full freight for their education. And, and as an economic activity, it's a, it's a really good one um, uh, for, for universities. Yeah, we've we've got two for every two people retiring, we've got one coming into the workforce. Uh, there's just not enough domestic folks to fill the workforce demand in Atlantic Canada, and we're going to have to use international students as one mechanism to help us address workforce demand in the years ahead. And it's great to see the universities and the colleges increasingly bringing in that talent, educating them here, and then cycling cycling them right into the workforce. Yeah, so the you know the, the the real question is right. What is the right balance uh, of international um, students uh, as part of uh, enrollment? Um, it ranges uh, right now all over the board uh, across the region, from you know under thirty percent to in the case of uh, CBU up to seventy percent, which is too high, uh, I think, for sustainability. But nonetheless, uh, even in, in Cape Breton, uh, people in that community acknowledge how important uh, the international students have been to rebuilding the population there after a long time of uh, decline. So uh, anyway, a very interesting conversation with a um, uh, an engaging um, uh, individual. I think people will learn a lot from this conversation. And so here's our uh, conversation with the president of uh, St. Mary's University, Rob Summerby Murray. We're pleased to welcome Robert Summerby Murray, the president of St. Mary's University to the Insights Podcast. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank great to be here. Rob, we understand you were born in New Zealand, but have been in Canada since the early 1990s. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and how you ended up as president of St. Mary's University uh, back in 2015? Yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, David. Much appreciated. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, yes, I came to Canada in 1986, actually, to pursue a doctorate in geography at the University of Toronto. Uh, and to be blunt, I had no intention of staying in Canada. I'd come from a job in the public service and the New Zealand government, focusing on local government amalgamation. But after the PhD, I took a short-term position at Mount Allison University in New Brunswick. And that was a short-term job that lasted 18 years. I left Mount A in 2010 as Dean of Social Sciences and moved to Dalhousie University, where I was Dean of Arts and Social Sciences for just under five years. And then the opportunity came to apply to be the president and vice chancellor of St. Mary's University. I was appointed to that role in 2015, and it's hard to believe it's been eight years. So what was it, what was it about St. Mary's University that appealed to you initially? So St. Mary's presented uh, a unique combination of international engagement, a strong set of what I've described as niche academic programs, such as the Sobe School of Business, uh, a focus on entrepreneurship, and innovative programs in arts and science. It also had the potential to develop its philanthropy in support of student learning and research, what we would call uh, friend raising and fundraising. And I also discovered an incredible community once I got here. There were so many people from board members, faculty and librarians, staff and students who were also 
learning about the Santa Marian experience, as we call it. We actually talk about our values and value that we bring. And I think we've got a good job of articulating that to carve out a space that is uh, different and open and accessible and very much part of that St. Mary's ethos. So one of the things that we like to focus on is the economic impact of uh, of sectors, and and we've done a, a couple of uh, the universities in the past, Rob, and and a lot of people don't understand that they're big they're big organizations, and uh, they do have a big economic reach. Uh, can you uh, have you ever undertaken an economic uh, impact study for the university, by the way? Yeah, we have, and I think your your point there and your question about many people don't understand the the impact of the sector is a really important one. And as a sector, my suggestion is we need to do more to communicate that. Uh, certainly at St. Mary's in 2016, the Sobe School of Business did its own analysis of economic impact, and it, it generated a number of around $329 million annually. That was a, an analysis of direct budget and then indirect costs and sort of applying multipliers back into the economy. Um, so that was one in 2016 for the Sobe score. But second, and most recently, in fact, just earlier this week, the Council of Nova Scotia University Presidents has released an economic impact study uh, produced by an independent consultant, um, Gardner Pinfold. And you might be surprised to hear that the export value of Nova Scotia's universities is assessed at $1.5 billion out of a total economic impact of approximately $2.4 billion. And I, I say that because that total for the sector in Nova Scotia actually places us second in the top 10 export earners behind fishing, just ahead of tyre manufacture and ahead of processed seafood. And we know our sector from the study generates and supports about 21,000 jobs, over $200 million in provincial tax revenues. Uh, and so this report is really kind of interesting because it, it, it gives us a good evidentiary basis to start to understand the impact on community. Certainly for St. Mary's, we have a good sense of where we fit inside that, um, an operating budget of about 145 million. But in the same Gardner Pinfold study, assessing what we generate as an institution from expenditures of around 230 million all up, by the time you apply those sort of fairly standard multipliers on both direct and indirect and induced outputs, we are pretty close to the $800 million mark in terms of economic impact in the province. And I haven't even mentioned the capital projects we're engaged in. And we've got a $42 million uh, academic building that will open in the fall, or we're spending $8 million right now to install North America's tallest building integrated photovoltaic cell system. All of this, those numbers may come as a bit of a surprise to listeners, uh, and they're just the numbers. It says nothing about what we contribute in terms of research and discovery or intellectual growth or the intercultural learning, population growth of innovation, or those big themes in terms of what we might bring to create a, uh, an informed and critical citizenry. Yeah, I just want to uh, expand on one of the points that you brought up uh, that I hadn't realized. Uh, 1.5 billion uh, in terms of an export number. That's uh, that's a big one. You know, we had uh, Michelin on not that long ago. You might have listened to that one, Rob. And uh, you know, they uh, they manufacture and export 1.3 billion. So you know, just to put it in context, uh, that's a big contribution from universe from universities and uh, and, and your university. Uh, is that mainly uh, foreign students and and students from elsewhere coming into Nova Scotia? It's a combination, and that uh, sort of just shy of 1.5 billion. Um, is uh, uh, the export value. The total mm. value of the sector is about $2.4 billion. Mm. And that, mm. that additional um, 0.9 is coming in from domestic um, components. So the, the export value, to your point, um, that number and that 1.4 is driven by such things as uh, uh, international student um, uh, tuition fees and then the spin-offs into the local economy through goods and services, through uh, housing, um, accommodation, food, those sorts of things. Um, it also includes um, uh, elements of tax revenues that might be generated, but for example, would flow to the federal government. So the assessment's quite complicated. Um, there's certainly a very important role for international students inside that. If I look at St. Mary's University, for example, 
Um, over the last several years, we've had more than 50% of our tuition revenues derived from international students. In the last two years, that number has dropped. We're about 41 to 42% of our tuition revenue coming from international students at the present time. But you're absolutely right that uh, that component of, um, uh, of an export-driven economy um, does have a significant element from uh, international student tuition and all the other flow-ons that come from their important presence in the in the province. Yeah, I just want to again uh, do a sideline question on um, international students. I I remember writing a um, a column a, a while back about the the impact economic impact of the post secondary sector, and I think at that time, uh, you know the. Uh, Revenue number that was attached to an international student was like thirty-two, thirty-three thousand dollars per year, I think, or something like that, which would include accommodation and tuition and those sort of things. And one of the points that I think would be helpful to clarify here is, you know, that foreign students pay what I would call full the full fee for their education, right? Can you give us an example of how that might compare to what a a Canadian might pay, might pay right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're pretty close on the numbers you were talking uh, about earlier. So um, uh, international students at St. Mary's, for example, are paying tuition around the twenty to $21,000 mark annually. Um, if you look at um, accommodation and food costs, um, let's say that student is in our residence system, um, you're going to add another 13, 14, 15. Uh, if you look at feedbacks and flow into the local economy, you are probably looking at around $40,000 per student per year um, feeding back in. And you are right about that comment um, in terms of international students, uh, their tuition fees reflecting um, essentially the, the total cost. So we do get an operating grant from the government of Nova Scotia that is not dependent or adjusted or conditioned in any way by the presence of international students. It's simply a, a base grant uh, changed by percentage, most recently just a 1% increase annually. That's independent of how many international students one would have. So, so the good news on that is that um, uh, our international student fees um, comparatively across the country are pretty solid, are pretty good uh, and relatively low. They're about half of what many international students might be paying in Ontario, for example. So that's important for us because we are competing in a, in a global market for, for students. Um, uh, our arguments and connections with provincial government and federal government are that we have an important role to play in attracting talent to our province, um, to um, attracting and retaining local domestic students, bringing in students from other provinces and bringing in students from other countries. And so we need to be competitive in that space for sure. We need to be offering the quality of programming, uh, the opportunities for research and discovery, all those sorts of things, uh, and identifying the points of connection uh, that are priorities for um, the province of Nova Scotia or for Atlantic Canada more generally. So the international component for us is important not only because there is financial uh, elements of it, but also because it brings those other things um, to us. If we go back three or four years, um, there was a quantification of international tuition fees in the province, and that was around $400 million at that point. This is five years ago now. Um, that number has certainly increased, and we've seen volume increase, almost a 67% increase in international students in the province over the last uh, uh, six to seven years. So there's a volume component of that. But importantly, at that time, many of us wanted to make sure that the focus was not solely on the economic contribution uh, of tuition, but that we focused also on that innovation, that attraction of talent, uh, the way in which those um, international students were looking to make a life in Atlantic Canada, bringing skill sets that support healthcare, that support um, information technology, that support language and culture, and the the whole gamut of ways in which we are building out the strengths of uh, of our communities and our economic and governance capacities here in Atlantic Canada. 
Uh, one other element I wanted to mention, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it bears repeating. Uh, before I sold my company, one of the studies that we did was for the AAU, uh, uh, and we, we we talked to international students. We wanted to know what their uh, what their intentions were after graduation. You probably remember that study; it was really quite revealing. I, I might have the number wrong now, but it's I think sixty two or sixty three percent of international students would uh, at that time wanted to stay in Canada after graduation. Um, more importantly, they wanted to stay in the communities where they were educated, which speaks to the, the you know, the attachment that people have to not only the post-secondary institutions, but the communities in which they spend their time being educated. And I think that's that's a really important uh, role, I think, for universities in today's world. And as you mentioned, uh, talent attraction, you know, it, for a long time, universities weren't well recognized for this role, as you know. But I think, I think finally that's changed. Uh, to get back on track, Rob, I'm sorry about that, but it's really an important. Uh, a lot of people have misconceptions about uh, foreign students and what they bring. And I think it's good to spend time on this. Uh, let's go back to... Um, the employment uh, role of the university. How many people uh, work uh, currently uh, at St. Mary's? So St. Mary's employs just over a thousand, around a thousand and fifty employees. That includes uh, uh, faculty and librarians, um, um, full-time and and part-time staff and others. So it's a a fairly sizable employer. Um, And it's, you know, I mentioned that earlier our budget, annual operating budget, is around 145 million. Well, the largest portion, as you can probably imagine, in a human-centered institution is in salaries, approximately 90 million, um, almost 93 million. So um, that's important for us. We do recognize our strength as a, a people institution in that way. And so uh, uh, we're very sensitive to the um, employment relationship and um, how that how that uh, has an Im- having an impact on local communities uh, and others, as you as you note. Um, just want to come back to the international one. I, I remember your study, and uh, I'm currently the chair of the AAU, the Association of Atlantic Universities. And those numbers of students wishing to stay in Atlantic Canada continue to be important, uh, and are ones that we are very much engaged in as we think about policy change, working with the provincial government and the federal government in particular. So all of that connection back into community, that's important for us at St. Mary's, important for us as an employer as well. Uh, I, I meant to mention that you just assumed the chair of uh, that group, uh, that uh, us, uh, August group of uh, educators. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, and just one final question. Sorry, David, I'm taking all the air here. I don't mean to. Um, one other question I, I wanted to ask was, uh, you know, uh, and you mentioned a number of numbers here, and there might be some confusion. You talked about the provincial-wide impacts, but just in terms of the sort of expenditures that the university spends on goods and services in Nova Scotia, do you have a, a, a number that uh, on that uh, specific score? It's a, we estimate it to be approximately 230 million. Um, uh, and then, as I say, we'd apply the Garda Pinfold study then applies some fairly standard economic indicators to that. Um, uh, and you know, generally sort of just under a, a four, so to speak, um, which we believe would generate about $800 million all up. A little more if you start to add in the federal tax component of that. But yeah, that's essentially our, our approximate estimate. Again, drawing very c- closely on the, the Gardner Pinfold study, which is using data from 21-22. So how many full-time and part-time students attend the university? Uh, between 6,500 and 6,700, um, and the balance is shifting all the time between full-time and part-time. We're also seeing some significant change in the way that students are engaging with post-secondary learning. Um, some of it is post-pandemic. We're aware that students are responding to changes in family circumstances, um, the high cost of living, housing issues, changing availability of online learning. Uh, the need for employment, and particularly in a local economy where there is a demand for employment. So the mix and the pattern of engagement for students is certainly shifting at the present time. 
Uh, and that includes the course load. One of our interesting dynamics at St. Mary's is that our tuition is a per course tuition model rather than a program tuition model. And that means that if students reduce their course load, which has been the case in the last two years, uh, that reduces our revenues from that student. So while we might have someone who is classified as a full-time student, if their course load has dropped from five full courses through the year to 3.5, they are still here as a student. We are providing all appropriate services for them, whether that's uh, maybe it's accommodation, maybe it's food services on campus, maybe it's the fact that we have athletics and recreation facilities, we have library, um, all those sorts of things. We're still supplying that, but the revenue per student has fallen. And so we, we recognize the challenges. And so when I say approximately 6,500 to 6,700 uh, students full-time and part-time, I am aware of the shift of student engagement. Uh, within that, I would add that we have um, close on a thousand graduate students. One of our growth areas has been in niche graduate programs. And uh, so that's important for us as well as terms of that balance between an institution that some would describe as primarily undergraduate, such as Maclean's, uh, but where we have important niche graduate programs uh, in, in very strong research areas. I guess those lines get blurred if you have a thousand graduate students. I don't know that you're primarily undergraduate anymore. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so we've talked already about the fact that uh, you've attracted a, a large number of international students uh, to the region, but maybe you could help us understand where they're coming from. We understand you have a, a fairly large share from Asia. Where, wh what are the countries uh, where most of your international students are coming from? Yes, and to your point, we do have a really long history of international engagement in, in various countries. Um, um, some of your listeners may may know that we were um, a founding partner with the University of the Gambia in West Africa um, a number of years ago, 28 years ago. Um, we have had um, partnerships in many countries in Africa, in Asia, uh, and um, uh, in the Caribbean. Some of those relationships are of long standing. The partnerships in the Caribbean, for example, um, go back in some cases 100 years. Um, you know, if I travel in the Caribbean with my team, I might be introduced to alum whose family have been uh, long connected with the St. Mary's. Currently, about 29% of our students are international here on study permits. This is down from 34% pre-pandemic. And so there has been a change in, in the markets, if we put it that way, externally. So um, before the pandemic, um, we had a, and going back even six or seven years, um, we had a very strong cohort coming from China. And that was our largest single group of international students. We've increasingly diversified over the last uh, eight to 10 years. And um, we have a number of students um, now from, uh, from India. And if you combine the number of students from India, um, Bangladesh and Pakistan, um, that number is essentially uh, reaching or exceeding the number of students from China. We've worked really hard to diversify that. Um, but uh, um, there are obviously challenges there just in terms of um, delays in study permit processing, uh, impact of the pandemic, and of course, uh, some key geopolitical issues that have an impact on our ability to, to be in that international market. I think uh, some of our listeners uh, would be interested in, in how you go about recruiting international students. Uh, Rob, are you doing it cooperatively with other institutions in the region or is this a every man for themselves kind of situation? Uh, it, it's a bit of a combination. Um, St. Mary's is a member of Edgenova, which is a uh, um, international education member cooperative in, in Nova Scotia. Um, one of my other hats is to be on the board of Edgenova and be um, the incoming board chair for that group. And through Edgenova, we do see collaboration and cooperation between all of the members. And this includes post-secondaries, it includes uh, private language schools, um, it includes uh, those working in high school recruitment as well. So that's one vehicle where we have a um, uh, international recruitment um, focus jointly. And that 
collaboration could include such things as hosting uh, familiarization tours of recruitment agents or guidance counselors. Uh, it can also include uh, lobbying work with the provincial and uh, federal governments in various forms. So that's one component. We also uh, work very closely with international recruitment agents, and these are trusted partners uh, for us um, with whom we've worked in some cases for many years. Um, they will work um, recruiting in high schools and key markets. Uh, some of them may actually be domiciled in those key markets themselves and have direct connections. And we will provide materials for them. They work in partnership with our um, recruitment and uh, international marketing group. And so we enter into to, um, contractual arrangements with them. There are uh, quality control built into that, training, uh, continued management and cooperation with the university. And I don't have the proportion of our students that come through agent relationships. It depends a bit on the market. Some markets are almost entirely based on agent recruitment. Some markets, such as the Caribbean, um, we have no agents involved. That's all direct um, recruitment on our part. And that's the third part of our strategy then, is that direct engagement in, in key countries where we are um, building up expertise, country-based expertise or regional expertise in our own marketing team, our own recruitment team, and ensuring that we're connecting with uh, uh, key high-quality high schools and also with partnerships with other universities. And that's an important point to make. We build a lot of what I would call two plus two opportunities where we may have students in a partner university or college completing two years in their home institution and then transferring to St. Mary's to complete their degree and it becomes a, a joint degree. So that's an important part of the international mobility piece that sometimes we, uh, um, we, we don't acknowledge. It's not just a come to St. Mary's for a four or five year degree or a um, two year master's degree. It's what are these two plus twos, or in some places, one plus threes. Um, and we even have some really interesting ones of three plus one plus one, you know, three years in your home undergraduate, one year with us, which then acts as a qualifying year to complete a postgraduate um, credential of some sort. So that's it's a quick over, overview of how international recruitment works. Three main areas, um, working in collaboration, uh, working through trusted agents, and then direct connection, and that includes working with established partners in other countries. I want to go a little bit broader now. I'd, I'd like to find out what the what are the key strategic priorities for the universities looking ahead. Yeah, and so important um, for all universities to be to be focused on strategy. We have a current strategic plan that's been operating successfully for the past five years. It has three key pillars, and they've become my, my mantra over the last five years. I don't make any public statement or meet with the Senate uh, without connecting to these. So the first of them is discovery and innovation in a learning-centered environment. We see ourselves as a learning institution. We recognize the importance of uh, of research, both curiosity-driven research and more applied research. Uh, and we recognize that we're all learners in that environment and that our key priority is the creation of knowledge. The second pillar in the strategic plan focuses on intercultural learning. And we chose our words very carefully here. We've spent a few minutes in our session today focusing on international students. But we felt and currently feel in our strategic plan that the focus is less about international as something out there or uh, exotic in some way, and more about learning within cultures. So what do we learn from culture? And so we use the term intercultural learning. Uh, we argue that uh, um, in earlier times, we described ourselves as the world as one city block, but we recognize the sense that there are multiple cultures from which we are learning all the time. And that includes cultures that are local. That would include African Nova Scotians. It would include students who identify as Mi'kmaq or indigenous. Uh, and we need them and us, all of us, to be in some form of dialogue around intercultural learning. And once we conceived of that in our strategic plan, 
that was crucial uh, for us being able to ensure that international was not some bolt-on, was not something that was there to generate revenue, but was integral to what the university was trying to do in its discovery and innovation mission. Sometimes I describe us as uh, the United Nations at work uh, because I can walk outside my office and the conversations I hear in multiple languages may be about the the challenges of that um, calculus exam they've just written, or it could be about global issues such as remediating climate change. So that sense of learning other perspectives is crucial to who we are as an organization. The third pillar is institutional sustainability. And again, carefully chosen words, not simply financial sustainability, but institutional sustainability. We, In our strategic plan, we're focused on how to support employees. We're focused on the ways in which we need to have built a risk intelligent culture as opposed to a risk averse culture. Uh, we have focused on financial sustainability, of course. We've focused on ways in which we uh, continue to find other sources of revenue, including through philanthropy and fundraising. But our focus on institutional sustainability is about the whole thing. What are we looking to be as we go forward? So that's been an exciting five years. I will say we're redeveloping or developing a new strategic plan right now. Um, as we come out of a pandemic, it's time for us to reassess. Um, Without, uh, while there's still work to do to finalize it, I can let you know that it still holds on to discovery, teaching and learning. It focuses on care and community, on stewardship and sustainability, and the embracing of equity, diversity, inclusion and accessibility. So big themes into which we pack our distinctive St. Mary's approach. So I want to go a little deeper on that question and ask you about your academic focus. Of course, Nova Scotia has the largest university sector in the country adjusted for population size and as a share of GDP, it's very, very important to the province, particularly the Halifax region. So how does St. Mary's fit in that milieu? What What is its differentiation vis-a-vis -vis the other universities in Halifax and across Nova Scotia? Yeah, great, great question, David. And I think, um, you know, we are the, the second largest university, second largest research um, institution in the province. Um, we also are one that has tried to build out niche programs. And I, I mentioned earlier in our discussion today, uh, some of the key areas of that, uh, including the role of the Sobe School of Business um, and its innovation, um, its focus on entrepreneurship uh, and the like. Um, so we're trying to be very uh, deliberate in what we deliver. We're trying to think about ways in which the nature of the university or post-secondary learning itself is changing. We have new new cohorts of learners. Uh, they learn differently. Um, students um, uh, interact differently than they did even, even pre-pandemic. And so we're focused on the way in which our pedagogy needs to adjust and how we change that, how we engage technology um, as effectively as possible. And we're also looking to new programs that can bring forward um, uh, opportunity for students. So we've, in the last year, revised our Bachelor of Commerce degree, um, has a stronger emphasis on sustainability. And we know students are looking for that in terms of an ethical and sustainable approach to business. We are creating, at the present time, new courses and uh, certificates in healthcare data analytics. Um, as you may be aware, we've had some investment from the government of Nova Scotia to support us in that. We have a new minor in climate change studies as we consider climate um, change resilience uh, as a key component of what we're doing. But we're trying to find ways where we draw those connections to civil society, to, um, to the, the demands that we might see in, in business and industry. We have research that's focusing on such things as um, um, the management of um, pests and other biota in the in the wine industry, for example. Um, we have work that has been focusing on um, you know, almost stress-tested work early in the pandemic on how to use uh, waste um, pulp from Port Hawkesbury to develop um, PPE, for example, um, personal protective equipment. So a lot of innovation there, we're trying to ensure that we've got a, a, a focus, a niche, um, I mentioned the Sober School of Business. 
I've mentioned some examples in science. I will add from science the significant programs we have in astronomy and physics. Um, simply, if you want to do high-quality um, astronomy or subatomic particle physics, east of Montreal, you come to St. Mary's. And we have students from come across the continent um, and from, from other, many other countries to come for those programs. Um, if I look at our Faculty of Arts, innovation in um, public history and heritage, um, tremendous examples of that, and also in artificial intelligence. Uh, again, many people will be surprised to know that one of Canada's experts in artificial intelligence is in our Department of English, as we focus on syntax and the language of artificial intelligence, and then that builds out with some of the work we have going on in, in computer data analytics at a variety of undergraduate and graduate levels. So a goal here in terms of focus is to not be all things to all people, but to identify key areas that uh, um, capture both curiosity-driven inquiry, but also a very clear that we see opportunity for our graduates and for our programming to be connected into that broader sense of civil society. So we'd like to focus a little bit on the Sobe School of Business. It's certainly uh, um, well known in this region. I'm not sure how well our listeners would, would know, so we'd love to get your insight into that program for us. But what can you tell us about the Sobe School of Business in terms of its strategic priorities? So uh, just to begin, I mean, the Sobe School of Business um, was really founded as the Faculty of Commerce, and it's actually one of the oldest faculties of commerce in Canada, uh, dating back into the 1920s. Um, it's really focused in the last uh, decade or so uh, on what I describe as um, uh, socially relevant management education. A uh, strong sense of um, social responsibility in the work. It is a signatory to the United Nations um, Principles of Responsible Management Education, or what we call PRIME. Um, that global accreditation is connected back to the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. And we've seen the way in which uh, even our first year course, uh, most recently, has been updated to increase its sustainability content. So how do we get that sense of sustainable and ethical practice uh, in business built into the foundation? It's a program also which has benefited from um, the tremendous support of the Sobe family, the Sobe Foundation and Sobe's Incorporated, and indeed uh, an amazing gift in um, uh, just a few years ago now. Uh, in fact, it's probably either the third or fifth largest single gift to a university in Atlantic Canada. Uh, at that time, certainly, has allowed us to build out a range of other opportunities, uh, um, speaker series, seminars, um, new professorships uh, that have been very important in that. I would add as well that the Sobe Schools um, is, has a very strong accreditation track record. So it's one of only seven business schools in Canada that has both uh, AACSB uh, and Equus accreditation. So AACSB is the Association of American Collegiate Schools of Business. It's a quality assurance accreditation, and our Sobe School at St. Mary's has that. Just recently, in the last two years, we have also been accredited by the European Quality Assurance Program for Business Schools. And as I say, there are only seven Canadian universities who hold both accreditations. So it's a tremendous strength of our, of our school. It's a multifaceted school. Uh, it has what you would expect in terms of accounting and management uh, and um, um, finance and, and marketing and levels of engagement uh, in those traditional areas. But it builds out exciting new areas, uh, particularly, particularly in the uh, graduate, uh, graduate programs. programs. Yeah, the School of Business has become well known uh, for its entrepreneurial programming <clears throat> through its entrepreneurship center. Uh, we're trying to make the connection that universities have with the startup community. Rob, can you can you tell us how the entrepreneurial programming at St. Mary's is linking up to the startup community? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a key player uh, here in Nova Scotia for that. We've been a, a leader in that entrepreneurial space for um, a number of years. And uh, Certainly, if I look back at what was formerly called the Business Development Centre, its focus was very much on providing assistance, particularly to small and medium enterprises, uh, uh, management support um, for small business, 
um, support was scaling up uh, more. And then out of that, we saw support from ACOA, from the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, to support some of those initiatives. And those initiatives are wide ranging. They, they might be SMEs. They might also, um, I'm using real examples here, have drawn on ways in which um, youth who have been uh, um, facing a series of challenges of youth can be brought into entrepreneurship programming. We have a program called Options with a COA support for that. We host one of the provincial sandboxes, which is a way in which we uh, bring youth together to generate new ideas. Uh, the the, um, the centre is also focused on um, our Enactus team, which is a group of students, uh, part of an international network of students promoting entrepreneurship, um, tremendous leadership and spin-off businesses from them. And also the centre has hosted, um, continues to host um, sessions for the Minister's Award on Entrepreneurship, which brings high school students into the mix as well. Most recently, uh, through a generous gift from uh, the Irving family and the Irving Oil Foundation, uh, we have renamed the centre the Arthur L. Irving Entrepreneurship Centre. And this is exciting for us. It has a university-wide mandate, and that's important. It's not focused solely in a school of business. It's broad across the, across the campus. And so we've seen that evolution from business development and consulting to entrepreneurship um, case and pitch competitions, both in Canada and in the United States. The numbers that I have at the moment suggest that we have had over more than 4,000 students uh, and close to 3,000 businesses engaged with the Entrepreneurship Centre just in the last five years. And I know we've spun off several companies um, from, that, from that work. We've also partnered with Edgenova in their study and stay entrepreneur program, which brought together 11 post-secondary institutions in our province. And again, we, our centre hosted that uh, in partnership to help build that sense of economic and community connection for international student entrepreneurs. So many examples of that. It's something that uh, we're extremely proud of. Um, our uh, centre also hosts entrepreneurs and residents. And our new building, which will open in the early fall, We'll have uh, spaces, maker spaces and discovery zones, um, uh, a new set of opportunities and spaces that will link across all of our faculties to increase the number of um, small companies spinning off from these studies uh, and the direct engagement with the, with the business community. Uh, the school also recently launched its Masters of Business Analytics program, the first of its kind in Atlantic Canada. This is a program uh, that is of uh, personal interest, I think, to David and I. But can you tell us the reason be behind this new program and what has the uh, demand for the program been like so far? Yeah, and, and thank you. Very important program for us, uh, quite new. Um, it was developed by looking across faculties, and I think that's important. We looked at what are, what are, the, what are the business data that um, decision makers need? How do we use new analytical tools to, to dig deep into that and drive decision? And so we were able to, uh, uh, with the generous support of, of a donor, um, Bob Kelly, get this program up and running. Um, our first cohort certainly exceeded our enrollment projections and we're on track at the present time um, for a full cohort of 35 students who will start the second year, the second um, cohort of programming in September of this year. Most of the students in the program are international. It's part of that broader suite that I mentioned earlier, uh, where we have um, um, uh, where we have um, students who are seeing niche programming at a graduate level, but we're also drawing connections um, from that into regional labour markets uh, and where those labour force demand is for these graduates. So a most obvious one would be uh, healthcare. And so the way in which we see the work that's gone on so far in analysis of big data um, and then building that out into more recent curriculum change in healthcare data analytics. So we recognize that data is a huge asset. Um, we recognize there are opportunities. We recognize there's demand for students to develop professional expertise. And as I said at the outset, this is a program that brings together students not only in business data, 
but in our Faculty of Science, the crossovers and complementarities with our Masters of Science in Computer Data Analytics are important for us. We've got a track record there, and uh, it is an exciting program. Our MBAM program, very pleased to see support uh, with support from a donor as we move our way forward into, into the next successful year. Uh, Rob, about one of every four workers in the university sector in Nova Scotia is over the age of 55. That's census data. Um, are you seeing that in your organization? Is it increasingly uh, more challenging to recruit staff into the university? Or where are you on that uh, workforce uh, attraction front for, for, for as, a, as a major employer in uh, Nova Scotia? Yes, uh, agreed. I think all major employers are facing uh, uh, attraction and retention challenges. Um, certainly in particular skill areas, uh, um, it is increasingly difficult to, um, to attract and retain. Um, part of that is the ongoing um, and I might suggest increased churn in our, in our local and regional economies. And it's also part of a, a longer shift in terms of what skills are needed or perceived to be needed in, in the economy. Information technology, of course, is uh, one of those challenging sorts of areas. We certainly continue to look at the, um, the workforce to, uh, to look at the sense of succession inside that as well. Um, we focused through the pandemic as well on how the workforce itself was changing. So one of the things we did there was to contract uh, with TALUS uh, to do an assessment of every position in the university with the exception of our faculty positions. So that was a review of each position to focus on um, what the changing nature of work was and where that work could be carried out. So out of that, we've developed a program called Flexible at SMU. It's uh, at one end, we've got people who are campus flex, who are me, you know, I'm front facing, I'm on campus. Uh, at the other end, we'd have people who are home flex, who no longer have an office. We built a new hoteling space for when those folks come to campus, maybe for a monthly team meeting. And in the middle, we've got folks who are hybrid and they can they can adjust their hours, they can uh, be flexible in that um, as, in their timing of their work. And we felt that was really important to manage some of the changes we saw coming out of the, um, out of the pandemic. It's been a very successful program from my percep uh, perception at this stage. It's given our employees flexibility. We know that's been important for them and their wish to retain uh, their employment and bring the, continue to have their skills with us at St. Mary's. We've also recognized um, the importance of increasing benefits coverage. So we've increased uh, investment in our health plans around mental health supports, for example, and extended those. We've launched a virtual doctors program uh, to support employees um, and others who um, may be unable to access uh, family physicians in the province. So we're doing all we can uh, to um, manage some of those challenges of workforce. Some of those are uh, aging in place. Some of those are succession issues. Some of those are changes in benefits and the changing nature of the workforce itself. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing on the research front at the university. It was great to hear earlier you talking about doing research related to wood pulp and uh, for the wine industry in Nova Scotia. It's great to see alignment between the university and important industries in Nova Scotia. But can you tell us a little bit about your research footprint, what you're focused on these days? Absolutely. And so our, our research footprint is guided by a strategic research plan. Um, now, on the one hand, we are required to have a strategic research plan by the tri-councils, by uh, uh, the granting agencies in, in Ottawa in order to receive federal research dollars. But on the other hand, that research, strategic research plan is crucial for us in terms of defining where our focus is as an institution. And even if we didn't have federal money flowing in, we should have a strategic research plan. Uh, we've focused in on areas of strength. I, I mentioned uh, um, astronomy and physics earlier. Uh, we've focused in on climate change and climate resilience, and we have successful work going on there. Um, uh, including important work in uh, a transcoastal adaptation program. Um, we're focused also on the way in which we can be using scientific technique 
um, in genomics. We're part of a $6 billion program with uh, uh, Woods Hole in Massachusetts on right whale genomics. So we've got focal points around uh, um, um, animal biology, climate change, astronomy and physics, and then another component is our work in community. So that sense of a focus on ways in which our research and inquiry connects back to communities in our region. Uh, in particular, uh, what's the culture of Atlantic Canada, Maritime Canada, Nova Scotia. Um, so those are key components. Other elements of that right, I do want to mention are the way in which we are connected into industry. So over 50% of our current annual research externally funded research is coming from industry partners. And this is quite a change um, for St. Mary's and I might suggest for uh, many universities. Um, we have partnerships, for example, with uh, um, IBM uh, inside our Masters of Science in Computer Data Analytics. Um, all of that sort of work is feeding back in uh, to the research environment more generally, but it's creating a sense of um, intersection um, for the work that our faculty members and our students are doing both at the graduate and undergraduate uh, levels and some of the examples we've mentioned already are ones where industry is important um, partners for us and this is where we see the potential for commercialization of research um, and those sorts of things and of course the direct benefit that comes from research. Can you believe that we're actually trying to build diagnostic clothing in our labs by in, embedding neurotransmitters into textiles? Um, things that will actually help global and certainly public health measures um, as, as we move forward. So a lot of those connections uh, are part of our approach to, um, uh, to the research environment. Uh, we, one of the things that uh, David and I have talked about in the past is, you know, <clears throat> the challenge to commercialize research in this region. You know, we're starting to make progress. I think we're seeing more evidence of, of the of the sort of things that you've been talking about. But we'd really like your opinion about what what more needs to be done to increase the level of uh, academic research and commercialization in this region, generally speaking. I think a lot of it comes back to ensure that there is conversation with willing partners and and just getting those things set up. Um, and let's take something like the oil and gas industry, which is obviously going through quite a transition. We've got work that is going on um, to manage um, gas and, and um, hydrocarbon leakage at wellheads and at capped wells by managing that with natural natural organisms. I don't think any of that work would have occurred unless there'd been a conversation between colleagues in our Department of Geology and the oil and gas industry. So there are things we can do there to ensure that those conversations are, uh, are happening, um, that, the, that we ensure that we keep inviting industry, business and the public into um, the sort of research expos that we do, that we keep publicizing in the general community um, the, the, the research stories and their impact, and that we, we do those direct outreach um, conversations to, uh, um, to industry partners, um, whether that's in the wine industry example I used, whether that's in such things as um, um, therapeutic uh, uh, contact lens work that we have going on, whether it's in predictive analytics on uh, cancer reoccurrence, uh, whether it's in the work on um, artificial intelligence, languages, um, cultures and politics. We've got to find ways in which we keep those conversations going. I'm heartened by the work of Research Nova Scotia on this. Um, um, yet another board I sit on where we've identified priorities for the province and where those priorities are ones where we can see uh, and begin to build connections with industry partners on several of them. But it, uh, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's work to be done in terms of ensuring that we uh, are seeing potentials for commercialization. Uh, and I think that's going to come from increasing conversation with, um, with colleagues in industry. Now, St. Mary's was recently ranked the th in third place in McLean's ranking of undergraduate universities in Canada. Congratulations! I think Thank you. you actually got—I think you actually got ahead of my alma mater, Bishops. Did you not? Oh, absolutely, we did. <laughs> it, it, uh, it should be noted, by the way, that four of the top 
10 undergraduate universities in Canada are located in Atlantic Canada. That's quite something. Um, and I think this is, if I'm not mistaken, the highest ranking ever achieved by St. Mary's. I, I wanted to ask you, to what do you attribute St. Mary's rise in the rankings? Yeah, and thanks, Don, and great question. Um, we're very uh, proud to be at this, uh, this level of ranking in the Maclean's rankings of primarily undergraduate universities. Um, I'll come to St. Mary's in a second, but I, I think your comment that four of the top undergraduate universities are in, in Atlantic Canada, uh, and specifically in Maritime Canada, uh, is a really important statement about uh, um, what undergraduate education is and can be in our region. And uh, if I turn to St. Mary's for a moment, we we believe that uh, ranking there, and we've, we, we go through the analysis, we see the weighting of the indicators that Maclean's uses. Um, we do believe it's a combination of our, our sense of community, um, the investment in, in research, as we were talking a few minutes ago. One of the key indicators used in this ranking is the uh, amount of tri-council or external funding per faculty member. Um, so we know that that's a measure of, not only of research success, but of the quality of engagement and material in the classroom and the laboratory and the, the seminar and tutorial. And so we think that's an important measure. We, we like the fact that uh, Maclean's values that intersection with research productivity and, and uh, external support, because we believe that's also producing a, a stronger result um, for undergraduate teaching. We also know as we look at those indicators that investments in library resources are a key indicator and we've been able to continue our investment in our in our library system and our Patrick Power Library, an excellent library. It's an opportunity and a space for students to, uh, to sort of live and learn. Uh, and so we know that those indicators are there. Um, so faculty awards and grants is key for us, um, as I said. Uh, we're also recognized for student awards, scholarships and bursaries. And we probably rank um, in the top four to six each year in that area. And that's because we recognize the support we need to provide to students. So either academic support and scholarships or a recognition of what we can make available to provide financial support uh, to students. So there are other indicators in the Maclean's rankings. And um, uh, we have been pleased to see us rise over the last few years from seventh place to, to sixth for a while, and then fourth and then third. Um, it is an annual process, of course. Um, and uh, uh, we're pleased to be where we are at the moment. We're in a little bit of a Goldilocks space, perhaps. We've got great support for students. We've got a warm environment. Uh, we've got access. Um, um, but it's still a challenging space. And I wouldn't want to suggest that uh, a ranking of third place in McLean somehow suggests that uh, uh, we have solved all the challenges of, before us. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity ahead. Uh, there's a lot of work for us to keep doing to not only maintain that ranking, so to speak, nor even to maintain it for its own sake, but to focus in on um, the sorts of measures that are being used and what that means for us. So delighted to be had the ranking, but uh, um, one should never rest on one's laurels. Rob, just a couple of questions to end out our, our, our very stimulating conversation today. We wanted to ask you how you connect into the local community. You're a large employer. Uh, you know, obviously, you have many, many uh, thousands of students. So what, what are the steps that you take as a university to connect into the Halifax community? So I think um, we do that in a number of ways. Um, first, we have a reputation, and uh, I hope myself and my, my senior team have that reputation as well, of being present, of working in a community and building partnerships. We have a strong alumni network. Uh, we do our best to uh, work within our immediate community as, as, and be a good neighbor um, to those immediately surround us. Uh, and certainly, I, I know that much of that work certainly predates uh, my tenure in the role of president, and I need to uh, acknowledge the, uh, the work of my predecessor or predecessors, really, uh, um, uh, in this role, who have made a point of being connected into community. And that includes working with um, uh, local diasporic communities, um, cultural celebrations, uh, being being present, being seen to be collaborators. Um, so that presence in community is important. 
We also have tried to demonstrate that through what we call our community-engaged research approach. We have something, we host something called CLARI, our Change Lab Action Research Initiative, um, initially funded by the provincial government, and we get some money from the provincial government each year to support the operation of CLARI. It brings together seven universities and the community college across Nova Scotia, and we are the hub for that. Um, and that has assisted us in being connected into communities right across Atlantic Canada. So some of the projects um, that have run through Clary have included partnerships with Cape Breton University and working with um, digital film production in Member 2. We've worked with St. Francis Xavier um, through Clary on projects uh, around uh, assisted living. We've worked with um, um, local Atlantic Canadian Hispanic communities through creative writing workshops led by colleagues at St. Mary's. We've focused on farmers markets in the Valley working in partnership through Clary with Acadia. So we've got that sense of trying to be a hub of being collaborators and being present uh, inside um, inside our, our community in Halifax and Nova Scotia and uh, uh, across Atlantic Canada when we can. Last question for you. Uh, looking ahead, what does the future hold for St. Mary's? So for St. Mary's, we are moving forward to continue that work of uh, uh, increasing our focus, uh, of ensuring that we are able to uh, uh, streamline and be agile in terms of uh, uh, the demands that we see in, in regional economy and society and culture. Uh, we know that... Um, um, there are challenges ahead in terms of um, building out uh, institutional sustainability, both from a financial perspective, um, but also in terms of the directions that we need to take. Uh, it's a positive future ahead. Uh, our partnerships with all levels of government are, are strong. And uh, we see tremendous innovation coming out of uh, not only our, our research environment, but of what we are doing for um, all of our students through our teaching process. I have the great pleasure, along with our Chancellor, Mike Derland, of speaking to every graduate that crosses the stage at convocation. And we get about 15 seconds to get their life story and what their next steps are. Um, so the 668 students that crossed the stage in six ceremonies this May, I heard amazing things. I heard students who are starting their own businesses. I heard from students who are heading into, who are taking their criminology degree and moving to training in the RCMP. Uh, I had students who are taking undergraduate degrees in psychology and chemistry who are members of the Royal Canadian Navy and are aboard ship this week. I heard students who are looking uh, to really understand more closely the changing cultures and languages and intersections and politics of, of our region. That is powerful work. If the University of St. Mary's can continue to carry out that support for diverse learning, uh, for opportunities, um, then I think we have an extremely solid uh, future ahead. Rob, we'd like to thank you so much today for joining us on the Insights Podcast. I've learned a lot, and I know quite a bit about your university, and I really learned a lot today. So thank you so much for joining us, providing our listeners with an overview of the university, its important role in the region, and uh, we're, we're really glad you came on. Thank you so much. Very much appreciate the opportunity to chat with you both today. Thanks a lot, Rob. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.